Welcome! My name is Carolyn Neelachlan, and I am your hostess with the mostest, here to bring you action and recipes in a post-Thanksgiving episode of From Paper to People's Family Cookbook. First, a big thank you and welcome to the podcast's newest patron, Linda Sparks. She's supporting at the Sprout level. To help keep this podcast moving forward, I need you to join Linda by supporting me monthly at patreon.com slash join slash ancestors alive. There are supporter benefits including swag, genealogy assistance, and private posts on my otherwise public blog, which features articles and videos I don't share elsewhere. Second, the podcast is now available on Deezer. Finally, like they only said so months ago, but there it is. It's finally there for you. And I'll put the link for you in the show notes. Today, I want to talk about creating and recording new holiday recipes so that they can be traditions for future generations. But first, the U.S. genealogical community is facing an urgent issue. We need to discuss that and how you can take action. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Genealogy Program is, according to their words, a fee-for-service program that provides researchers with timely access to historical immigration and naturalization records of deceased immigrants. Basically, you pay them, they find and deliver a record for you if it exists. The USCIS's fee structure and behavior are governed by rules through the Department of Homeland Security, which is a federal agency. On November 14th, the USCIS proposed a new rule allowing for fee increases so that record seekers will have to pay more for the files that are of primary interest to genealogists and historians. C files, A files, and alien registration files. Right now, a search for a file costs $65, and a copy of that record for your own personal use costs another $65. That right there is a heck of a lot of money to me. Under the new proposed rule, the cost would skyrocket to $240 just to search for the file and potentially as much as $385 for a copy of the file once found. There's no way to say this nicely. That's nuts. It's opportunistic monetization of an ever-growing research community, a proposed rate hike of up to 492%. I've seen bots on Twitter pretend to be genealogists to data mine and cause arguments. So as an identifiable community, we've obviously arrived. But this is proof beyond all else. When government agencies seek to make obscene amounts of money off of all levels of researchers, you know your community is taken seriously. So let's make them listen by taking them seriously too. We have until December 16th, 2019 to read and comment on the proposed rule. And that's precisely what I am asking you to do wherever you live. Tell the USCIS that these are public records about our ancestors, that we have a right to them, and that you are absolutely opposed to the fee increase. I mean, seriously, can you afford $625 for a single piece of paper? No matter how much valuable information it yields, I know I can't. This is red tape gone berserk. To read the rule and get some guidance on how to respond, go to recordsnotrevenue.com. 
It has explanations and links to the rule itself and to the comment portion of the rule site. The Legal Genealogist has written a very helpful blog post about this, and Jennifer Mendelson has written a similarly helpful article on medium.com. I'll provide those links in the show notes. Reading the rule and all of the attendant definitions can be complex for those not used to it, so here's my breakdown. I told them this fee increase is immoral because these are public records that belong to us, the people, and that concern our ancestors. I also argued that these increases are detrimental to the genealogy and history communities and that they won't cover the costs that the USCIS claims to have because the increases will create a significant chilling effect on record requests. Better to do an increasing level of business at $65 per request and $65 per document delivery than to lose business to FOIA or to lose a considerable number of transactions at $625 a piece. U.S. residents, you can and should send a copy of your remarks to your senators and to your representative. Make them aware of what's happening. Tweet them or call them. You can connect by calling the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121. They will connect you with the proper offices. There are only 10 days left to comment, so don't bother with snail mail. Make this immediate to your elected officials. There's a lot happening in our politics right now, but we have to preserve the ability to access our records for ourselves and for future generations. Refer to DHS docket number USCIS-2019-0010 in all of your communications. When you tweet, tweet often and use the hashtag records not revenue. Now, Let's talk family history and holiday food traditions, because you know that's why I'm here, right? I made some serious food this year for Thanksgiving. In my family, we're not all about pilgrims. We're just about an excuse for a reunion, some predictably annoying behavior that I really wish wouldn't happen, but that always does, and good food. This year was no different right down to the bad behavior, but that's another podcast altogether. This was my first year hosting ever and I was psyched. I had the ability to make more than just one dish on the menu. I made turkey, andouille and cornbread dressing, glazed sweet potatoes, scallion mashed potatoes, white wine gravy, and pumpkin pie. I'm giving you my recipes because I don't have anyone else to leave them to. And because let's face it, I love talking about food. For the dressing, you need to start with a full recipe of the Hinsey family cornbread, I gave that in episode 21 in July of 2018. The link is in the show notes, and you can find that episode on my website, ancestorsalivegenealogy.com. You'll have to listen or read to get that recipe, but here's the rest. I made the whole recipe a week ahead of time and froze it, then thawed it on the stovetop as the turkey cooked. It's absolutely perfect when made ahead, and you'll save yourself oven space and labor on the day of the meal if you make it beforehand. Andouille cornbread dressing. You'll need an oven temperature of 350. You're going to bake it for 35 to 40 minutes or until it's browned. To make this, you'll need a small bowl, a medium bowl, a large bowl, a large pot, and a 13 by 9 casserole dish, greased or sprayed. Your ingredients are a teaspoon of salt, a half teaspoon each of white pepper, cayenne pepper, and black pepper, 
a teaspoon of oregano, a half a teaspoon each of onion powder and thyme, one and a half sticks or 12 tablespoons of margarine, a cup each of finely chopped onion, finely chopped green pepper, and finely chopped celery, three cloves of minced garlic, two bay leaves, a cup of chicken broth, a recipe of the Hensey family cornbread or other non-sweet cornbread, a package of andouille sausage, which is five sausages, a cup and a half of milk, and three eggs. In the small bowl, combine the white pepper, cayenne pepper, black pepper, oregano, onion powder, and thyme. Melt the margarine in the large pot over high heat and add the onions, green pepper, garlic, celery, and bay leaves. Stir the ingredients around as they cook for about two minutes. Then you add the contents of the small bowl and continue cooking for five more minutes. While those are cooking, crumble the cornbread by processing in the food processor and then set it aside in the large bowl. Do the same thing with the sausage, setting it aside in the medium bowl. Add the sausage and chicken broth to the pot on the stove and cook that for five minutes, still stirring. Remove the pan from heat and add the crumbled cornbread, then the milk and the eggs. If your pot isn't large enough, use a very large mixing bowl to mix all of these ingredients together. Put that dressing in the greased 13 by 9 inch casserole dish and bake. And remember to remove the bay leaves before serving so you don't perforate the colons of your guests. Glazed sweet potatoes. Mm. My sweet potatoes were, yes, incredible. Just like in genealogy, it's all about the process. I peeled and cut six sweet potatoes into chunks, added them to my slow cooker, zested and juiced in one Valencia orange, and then added water to cover and cooked on low for about 10 hours. Then I removed them to a large baking dish, straining them, of course. To make the glaze, I melted a knob of butter on low and added a dash of cinnamon, the zest and juice of a lime, the zest of another orange, and a single serving bottle of pulp-free orange juice. You know, the ones I mean, like that you can pick up at the 7-Eleven. You don't want the big one for the family, just that single serving bottle. Once that was steaming, I added two tablespoons of cornstarch dissolved in some water and whisked that in so that uh, it was starting to thicken and make a glaze. And then I whisked that glaze over increased heat. I reduced the heat, continuing to whisk. When it was thickened to my liking, which meant that it was still pourable, I didn't want it to be like, you know, jello. I removed it from the heat. I poured it over the sweet potatoes and then baked the sweet potatoes for about 15 minutes at 350 just to heat them through. Then I served As for the pumpkin pie, I made the pie a day ahead of time, homemade filling from scratch in a homemade crust. Now, the crust is really, really easy. It's a press-in oat bran or pecan crust. I made it with pecans this time. It took a half a cup of butter or margarine. I used butter this time, slightly softened. A tablespoon of coconut sugar. The most important thing is don't use regular white refined sugar. A cup of flour and a half a cup of oat bran, or in this case, I used finely chopped pecans. Blend all ingredients in the food processor until the ingredients combine and form a ball. Grease a nine and a half inch pie plate and pat the crust in by hand. Prick a few holes in the crust with the tip of a knife. Lay in a piece of waxed paper, foil, or baking parchments. Set in pie weights 
and bake at 350 degrees for approximately 20 minutes or until browned. But you have to watch this crust carefully. Even coconut sugar burns. Though it doesn't burn as quickly as regular sugar, it can still burn if you're not careful. Then you let it cool a little bit so that you don't burn yourself when you remove the pie weights and remove the parchment or whatever foil, whatever you're using, and let that crust cool completely before you pour in the filling. Here's the filling. It's really good. It's spicy pumpkin pie filling, and I make the whole thing absolutely from scratch. You're going to need a mixer or a food processor, a nine and a half inch pie plate, your favorite pie crust baked for 10 minutes at least, and that's what I just gave you, a pie crust. So here's the pumpkin puree. Prick holes in the skins of one to two whole organic pie pumpkins. They're kind of small. And bake for about one and a half hours at 350 degrees, just like you'd bake a potato. When the skin gets darker and almost leathery, you remove the pumpkins from the oven, peel off the skin, remove the seeds, puree the meat of the pumpkin in the food processor. And if you do puree ahead of time, you probably won't have to whip the pie filling for strings, which is a good thing because it makes life that much easier. The filling is two teaspoons of ground cinnamon, one third of a cup plus one tablespoon of granulated fructose, although you could make some of that coconut sugar if you wanted to, a half a teaspoon each of ground ginger, ground nutmeg, and ground allspice, just a teeny dash of cloves, a half a teaspoon of maple syrup, although you could go a little heavier with that if you wanted to, a dash of salt, a half a cup each of milk and heavy cream, three eggs beaten, and two teaspoons of tapioca flour or cornstarch. Combine all filling ingredients in the large bowl using the whisk. If you have a food processor, use it instead because that, that makes it even nicer and lighter. Whip until the filling is fluffy and light. Immediately pour the filling into the shell and bake. Let it cool on a rack. I substituted oat milk for the milk and cream and margarine for the butter in the crust. And I'll tell you, it really was delicious. So this pie can be dairy-free if you want it to be. Now my scallion mashed potatoes. For those mashed potatoes, and you know, as a partly Irish girl, I am all about the potatoes. I peeled, cut, and boiled about eight russet potatoes for six people. While the potatoes were boiling, I heated a few cups of chicken broth and added chopped scallions. Once the chicken broth boiled on high heat and the scallions just brightened in color, I removed that little pot from the heat and added a big knob of garlic butter. And that butter melted while I was dealing with the spuds. Once the potatoes were done, I drained them, returned the potatoes to the pot off the heat, and added the chicken broth scallions first. Of course, you have to stir that in order to get the consistency that you want. A little salt, a little pepper, and Bob's your uncle. The flavor of the scallions permeated the potatoes without overpowering them or anything else on the plate, and they were super. Now, white wine gravy. This is my specialty. No matter where I go, I beg to be able to make the gravy because this is the gravy. Okay. And I like to make buckets of it too because I'm all about the gravy for the leftovers. This is my signature gravy. So I bought an inexpensive bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, 
which is a dry white wine. I had stuffed the turkey with cut sections of two different kinds of organic pears. So the pan juices were slightly sweet, and that helped to keep the turkey extremely moist and really nice. While the bird rested after it had roasted, I boiled the wine to eliminate the alcohol, then heated the drip pan with the juices, and I whisked in a box of good turkey stock. I added the boiled wine and a handful of Herbe de Provence, though any aromatic herb combo would do. I thickened partly with fine white flour and partly with cornstarch dissolved in water. Lots of whisking and then some cooling later. It was the right thickness and temperature. I salted it to taste and bam, we had us some gravy. Now, if you ever try any of my recipes, please let me know how they go for you. I believe in a flavorful table, so there's a lot going on here, even for one dish, let alone for the entire table full of food. Now, moving forward and incorporating family history into this food discussion, how can you make your holiday present into new traditions? Give your recipes, written or typed, to everyone in your family. Give them to your holiday guests when they eat the finished products at the meal you're serving. When my mom knew she was dying, she assembled a book called Our Favorite Recipes and gave a bound copy to every family member at her last Christmas. She asked me to show her how to use the reference and citation functions in WordPerfect, and she assembled the book using WordPerfect. It had everything, a table of contents, chapters, everything. It was dated December 1992. She died in June of 1993. My copy is worn and stained, so I'm going to scan it into a PDF file and put it up on her family search profile. I don't ever want to lose it, and I want my cousins and other family to be able to access it at will. I'm so grateful that she thought ahead like that and that the grandchildren she never got to meet will benefit from it in the coming years. We as family historians have to continue to think of today as being tomorrow's history and to leave a pathway and a file of information for those who come after us so that they don't get as frustrated as we do when we're trying to reassemble our own family trees. Don't let them regret not having secured information from you. Save it for them. Attach your recipes to your own family tree profile, along with the stories that should accompany each recipe. As family historians, we don't only seek the past, we must also detail the present. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Please take action on the proposed USCIS rule and spread the word. Tweet about it using the hashtag that I gave you. Otherwise, do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Preserve your present for the future, and above all, expect surprises.